0: Welcome to Education Beat. Aman Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. This month, Education Beat turns one, and we're celebrating. The episodes throughout the past year have brought stories from the very heart of California schools to your ears. You've heard from students, teachers, parents, and administrators telling stories from inside the classroom and on campus. We've heard from students fighting to change their school's name, English learners returning to school after the pandemic, and the challenges facing college students. We've dug deep and asked questions like, why are so many community college students struggling to transfer? And how are schools scrambling to fill substitute teacher spots? Host Zadie Stavely transports our listeners into the classroom each week, with the help of teachers, students, and EdSource reporters. This week, Zadie asked Editor-at-Large John Fensterwald to come back to chat on this one-year anniversary of Education Beat.
1: It's an honor to be back to mark your first year. 52 episodes in all. Interesting, and some were unforgettable. You know, Zadie Lewis Friedberg and I co hosted the predecessor of Education Beat. And, you know, we're policy guys. You've brought in the essential third dimension, which is people. How big forces at work translate on the ground to teachers and families and students, often in surprising and frankly, very affecting ways. So congratulations. Thank you, John. But let me let me turn the table, Zadie, and ask you some questions. Let's uh, reacquaint listeners with a little bit more about you and your background and why, in my view, you're a terrific host for this podcast. You've been covering English learners, bilingual education, and early education for EdSource for almost four years. But you also have a radio background. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, John, actually, I I got interested in radio because I was writing a story as a print reporter about a little radio station in a place called Huayacocotla Veracruz in Mexico. And it's this little town. They have a small community radio station and they broadcast in like four languages in Spanish and then in three different um, indigenous languages from the area. And it was really amazing to see how radio could be this hub of community so it wasn't just mm. a news station they did do you know reporting and then they had music but they also like helped fund local bands that did traditional music and they also um, ended up being this communication hub for people who didn't have phones so a lot of people from that area uh, actually immigrate to New York City from these little tiny towns in the mountains and in order to call home they would call the radio station and tell the radio station to announce on the radio that they were going to call their brother or sister or cousin on Saturday at ten o'clock, and that they should go to the local telephone booth to receive the call. And I just thought that was That's fascinating. I just thought that was so cool, and um, so I got really interested in what radio can do. And so then uh, after journalism school, I started working at Radio Bilingue, which is a Latino public radio network based in California, and then went on to do a lot of stories for KQED, and then came to EdSource.
1: Well, that was an essential part of that village's life and a real connection to America. And, And so now here we are in California for a big audience. And the tagline for Education Beat is getting to the heart of California schools. So what does that mean to you?
0: Well, I mean, on one hand, John, it's it's a play on words, right? Education beat heartbeat. Um, but I think I wanted to bring the personal stories behind the headlines. So I know, um, you know, EdSource has a really strong history of covering policy and education legislation and what's going on in Sacramento. And I wanted to sort of bring people the voices that you might not hear otherwise. So you know, not just principals or lawmakers or the superintendent of public instruction, but also teachers and families, even neighbors. So one of the first episodes that we did was about Mama Brown, who was this woman who Carolyn Jones interviewed, and she had decided to adopt a whole class of kids in her neighborhood school
1: to help them get through school and go to college. It's one of my favorite episodes. And you know, it it had a lasting impression on me about a really unusual woman who made a remarkable commitment in her own neighborhood. So let's hear a little bit about Mama Brown.
0: I go into the class and I make the announcement that I would like to adopt this class to try to work with them. And once a year, I will get them $10,000. They were so happy. And when I left school and got in my car, it was like a reality check. I got ready to drive in my hand. I couldn't even drive. It was like, what have you done? You gonna give away $10,000. You are making $45,000. And the only thing I think that helped me to get through this was knowing that, okay, you lived off of two dollars a day. I still, I just sat there. And I guess it was maybe two months or so before I even told my husband. Listening to that um, just reminds me of how much I, I was moved when I first heard that. Just I can just imagine her getting back in her car and thinking, what did I do?
1: And then later on, we heard Carolyn interview Jeffrey Tony, who is one of the kids who was actually helped by Mama Brown.
0: I asked Jeffrey, you know, what what kind of impact she had on him, and what would have happened to him if if it wasn't for her.
1: Honestly, dead or in jail. If I, if I didn't reunite with the Orly Brown Foundation my freshman year, uh, I probably would have ended up dead or in jail.
0: The thing is, is that Mama Brown didn't just she she gave money towards a college fund, but she also just helped them get clothes or like whatever they needed.
1: Yeah, you know, every neighborhood wish we had a Mama Brown, and particularly this past year, because during the first year that Education beats been around, it's been really challenging for schools. They transitioned back to in-person instructions. Teachers were faced with students' setbacks in learning and their behavior challenges. And it's also been a year when actually the state has more money than ever to start interesting programs like community schools and try to mitigate the damage that was done during the pandemic. Well, How have you found covering California schools during such a really difficult time?
0: Well, it's an interesting time to do audio journalism, John, because, I mean, as a radio reporter, you have to actually go to the place where you're reporting about you have to go to the classroom and get audio in the classroom you have to go to the person's house and and talk to them in person so that you can get really good sound but also so you can get the ambient sound of you know them cooking or doing homework with their kid um, and it, so that's something that's really hard to do remotely I think that we've sort of figured out different ways to do that in the podcast so you know we we connect people on zoom but we ask them to record themselves on their phone so that they can Get really good quality sound. We um, ask teachers to go and record in their classroom little clips of what they're doing with their kids. And in some cases, we've been able to put that sound on the podcast. As far as the topics, you know, we have covered a lot of challenges. So, you know, Kobe, the producer of the podcast, and I sometimes felt like, wow, we're doing a lot of topics about how difficult things are after COVID. I mean, the shortage of substitutes, the shortage of school bus drivers, teachers, you know students dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression after being really isolated or, you know, in some cases losing families family members to COVID. Teachers feeling burned out from all of the additional requirements and then also having to deal with the additional behavior behavioral challenges um, after distance learning, you know, how much principals were doing. But we've also tried to cover some of those things that schools are doing to try to improve and you know, how Lodi Unified used COVID funds to send kids to summer camp, or start up an after school chess club. And that was something that Carolyn covered in a written story. But I feel like it was fun to get to know some of the people that reporters interviewed a little bit more during the podcast,
1: like the janitor who started the chess club. You know, it's true because you can read a story that says, oh, X dollars went to Lodi and sent them to, to camp. But you really don't get a sense of the value of that camp to kids until you hear their voices and have them talk about it. And you did that well. I mean, the, the podcast hasn't avoided the really difficult times the kids have. But there's also been hope in, in, in the students' voices and the teachers' voices, which is really encouraging as well. But, you know, the format of Education Beat has always been looking deeper into stories that EdSource has covered and bringing in reporters for those stories to talk about them. Can you talk a little bit about how that's gone?
0: Um, I think it's actually really great to highlight the reporters and we were able to show the great work that they do. I mean, I feel like reporters are often sort of behind the scenes So you might sort of read the name or get to know the name. Um, but you don't really feel that you know them, and I think maybe hearing their voice helps people feel a little bit more connected to them.
1: Ah, uh, that's true. But I think it can be tricky, probably too, because reporters—or maybe speak for myself—we're <laughs> not—we're <laughs> uh, not born for radio, right? We are writers, and and um, has it been challenging to get the reporters to sort of develop an ear for radio and podcasts?
0: Actually, no, I have been really pleasantly surprised by how great the reporters sound on on mic. I think that is mostly because of EdSource reporters' deep grasp of the topics they cover. You know, doing the podcast also kind of gives reporters a chance to show another side of their reporting. I mean, you often cover legislation, education policy, but you reported a story for the podcast about school lunch in Davenport. I mean, we even got to hear you try the pozole the kids made.
1: Yeah, that was a really interesting... I mean, Zody, I, I didn't need to be convinced to go to, uh, to Davenport, which is uh, just north of Santa Cruz. It's an Oceanside, beautiful town. And um, the interesting backstory to that podcast is I interviewed the principal about another issue, and he started talking about this unique school lunch program at Davenport Elementary, and he invited me to lunch the next time I was in town. And so I took him up on the offer, and, I, you know, I was hoping it would make a good podcast. Here's a clip. Yeah, don't drop it in though.
0: So I arrive in the kitchen at eight o'clock and we start cooking with kids at nine o'clock. Don't splash yourself, there you go. We serve breakfast to the whole school. Then we start cooking lunch. The miscellaneous, yep and then we also do after-school rec snack. Use your claw. So, we're cooking a lot. Okay, ready? Okay, don't touch the lid, it's really sharp.
1: Okay, okay. Those are perfect.
0: What I loved about doing it as a podcast episode is that we were able to really feel like we were there. We heard all the sounds of the kitchen, which is also a testament to our producer, Kobe McDonald. Um, but it just felt really great to hear all those little bits of the kids making things, chopping things up, and all of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, this was lunch. There was, there was not a backup. <laughs> they they had to make lunch. It had to be ready on time. And, uh, you know, they didn't have frozen pizzas to go in case it didn't work.
0: Yeah. The other thing, John, about having the reporters on and in doing a different version of a story, um, an audio version of the story, we just dig a little deeper into the personal side of things. So, for example, Ashley A. Smith moderated a roundtable discussion about why so many community college students don't actually transfer to four-year colleges. And it was a great roundtable. Um, But then when we did the podcast, I think we were able to tell the story of a community college student who had a hard time transferring In more of a storytelling format and it was the same person who had been on the roundtable we just highlighted it differently for the listener and several people told me that they hadn't actually heard the story in the same way when they were on the roundtable
1: yeah I thought it was really effective and I mean that's another way that a podcast can add or another dimension to a story so in the time that's remaining let's talk about some of the especially memorable episodes from last year. You've done several episodes related to English language learners. You recently covered a journalism class in Compton where English language learners get deeper knowledge of grammar and vocabulary, and they learn a lot about themselves too, by becoming reporters. And you had another episode early on about how teachers were welcoming English learners.
0: Yeah. I mean, both of those episodes uh, really stood out to me and I feel really proud of, mostly because of how inspiring the teachers are. The early episode about welcoming English learners back after the pandemic, we were able to get the teacher to record some of her her class and what she was doing in her class and how she was trying to both teach English you know, grammar and improve these kids' English and at the same time work on some of the social-emotional stuff for them when they were coming back after the pandemic, um, after distance learning, basically. Let's hear a little bit.
1: Now that you're back in school, how do you want people to see you? I want people to see me like a person that will always help them in
0: anything they have.
1: I want them to see me strong. I want them to see me... Happy in a person that they can ask for help. You're going to give one or two words that describes your personality. I'm a connector. A connector. Okay. Luis, one word to describe your personality? Happy. Happy. Okay, how about you? Trustworthy. Trustworthy? Oh,
0: I I got a lot of reactions from that episode, John, just from people who felt like it was sort of inspiring to hear from this teacher and how she was um, trying to get high schoolers, high school English learners to use English in a way that they were also able to express themselves. And at the very first few days back, just feel comfortable in class.
1: And talk about themselves emotionally. I mean, that's that's difficult to do. At the same time, I imagine you're trying to learn a language, and I thought it was really effective. Last fall, we heard an episode about the Ruiz family. Tell us more about them and why you chose to include them in this podcast.
0: Yeah, so I met the Ruiz family actually during an EdSource series that we did about families and how they were coping with distance learning. And there are four kids in the family, um, but basically this family – was affected by a Trump-era immigration policy, which makes it a lot harder to get a green card if your family is poor, is basically what it does. Um, It's called the public charge policy. And what happened with this family is that um, the dad applied for a green card. He was eligible for a green card because he was married to their mother, who is a U.S. citizen. He had to ask for a waiver of another immigration policy because he had lived in the United States without papers. And he was granted the waiver because the government agreed that it was gonna be really hard for the family if he left. And then it was going to be an, you know, an extreme burden. But when he went to Ciudad Juarez in Mexico to get his green card, they asked him if the kids had ever used public benefits. And uh, he said yes. And um, they denied his green card and told him that he was not eligible anymore and would have to stay in uh, Mexico for 10 years. At this point, the oldest daughter who was in college dropped out of college so that she could help support the family. And it just is like a ripple effect. You know, this family just became, I became really uh, close to them while I was covering this. And I wanted to do a radio story about this particular issue because i felt that it was really important to hear their voices i mean we heard from the dad saying that he felt like he was cutting off the daughter's wings because she wasn't able to continue in college because of his immigration issues Um, and then we heard from the kids just talking about how it was affecting them
1: it's such a painful image that the dad used and a a lot of trauma comes out in this podcast i thought it was a really an important episode that you did this year. Let's listen uh, to a little bit of that.
0: We all love him as an actual father because he basically raised us. He's my papa. So it was very tough. We haven't even like seen him for a long time. We only video chat with him. Papi! The video calls keep this family close, even though Jose is in Hermosillo, Sonora a thousand miles away. Priscila shows her dad a drawing she did of a tiger. Sometimes, 17-year-old Ignacio asks him how to unclog the toilet, or how to change the oil in the car. The oldest, Elena, keeps him updated on her job. Squished between her kids on the couch is their mom, Armanda, who keeps the whole family together. You know, actually, John, their dad is still in Mexico. He's wait, He's still waiting. Although the policy that uh, affected his green card application is no longer in effect, um, he had to apply again. And so he's still waiting for an answer.
1: Yeah, well, we're hoping everything works out for that family. You know, in the podcast, you've made a real effort to get students' voices in. And I've heard episodes on students campaigning to get the right to vote in school board elections for the right for more accessible materials for blind students. One of the ones that I especially remember was an episode about middle schooler Anaya Zanad who advocated to change her school's name.
0: Yeah, so this was a story that was written by Ali Tadion and he uh, went to speak with Anaya and she researched her school's namesake and she uncovered a history that made her really mad. The school was named after Juan Crespi who was a Spanish missionary and he basically helped pave the way for the California mission system in the 1700s, which was brutally oppressive and where Native American children were forced to work and a lot of people died. And so Anaya decided she wanted her school to recognize someone else, someone who stood up for civil rights instead of someone who was taking those rights away. I've always
1: picked Betty Reese I've always picked it. <laughs> um, Why is that? because I she's a leader. I thought she was a leader. I was just like, okay, and she was an activist and she was working until 98. I don't think nobody could
0: work that long. And she wanted to work. She wanted, she cared for people, which was really sweet to me. She cared for others
1: and Juan Crespi did not. So there's like there's like a huge difference between Juan Crespi and Betty Reed Soskin. So, Zadie, which of these many episodes was the most fun?
0: It's really hard to pick. I think uh, I had a lot of fun listening to the Davenport episode and helping put that together, um, the school lunch. I also really enjoyed hearing about the chess club and Lodi, just hearing the janitor talk about it. But most recently, I was really blown away by the students I spoke with from the journalism club in Compton. I mean, these students were all fourth graders going into fifth grade and they just were amazing.
1: I thought, me too. I thought it was really ingenious to charge those kids with becoming reporters. It not only improved their vocabulary, but it really built up their confidence to meet people and ask questions. And, and I remember one girl said that reporting even helped her through her stuttering. I mean, that's just remarkable.
0: Yeah, let's hear a little bit of them.
1: I, I i stuttered a lot and now that I'm intervening, I am feeling very confident that better with my words. First, my English was kind of horrible, but now since we type a lot of stuff and talk about a lot of stuff and interviewing people, I learned how to put more um, vocabulary inside of my English. So Zadie, with the start of a new year of Education Beat comes a new school year. The last one was really complex for teachers, students, and parents. And we're all hoping things get easier as we start back in year two from distance learning. And I'm also looking forward to seeing what you cover in season two.
0: Thank you so much, John. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, Getting to the Heart of California Schools a production of EdSource. You can find all our episodes from the last year at EdSource.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks this week to our guest host, John Fensterwald. And thanks to all the EdSource reporters who've contributed by coming on the podcast and talking about their stories. Our CEO is Anne Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Next week, we'll be taking a break. But join me again on September 1st for the next episode. And subscribe. That way you won't miss any episodes in the future.